Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. All right, so I entitled this, Whoever Does the Will of, of God is My Family. Whoever Does the Will of God is My Family. And we'll look at it in three parts. We're going to see that Jesus is going to be misread or misunderstood by three different groups. Uh, so first, he's misread by, by friends in verses 20 and 21. And I'll explain that because I know you said it's, probably see it says family. But the old King James says friends. So just, just translation thing. Uh, and then we see misread by religious in verse 22 and, uh, through 30. And then misread by his family in verses 31 through 35. So uh, we left off last week. Jesus, the, the, the great crowd had dissipated and he had went up to go pray. Uh, he had his disciples there and then he ends up picking his apostles. That's where we left off. Now he's heading back home, most likely to Peter's house. And the crowds are back. That's the first thing we see. The crowd immediately comes back and... One of the things that the disciples have to get used to is having that crowd there. Uh, they're going to learn how to do ministry with the demands of, of people. And, and that's what ministry really is, 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 is people. So, you know, when we, when we give our lives to Jesus and we, we set out to, to follow him, we serve, right? We're not called uh, to be served, but we're called to serve. And so... Uh, you're going to be serving people. That's part of part of being a follower of Christ, and that's whether you do that at home. Because so many of us think, "Well, I got to be plugged into the church." That's awesome if you're plugged into the church. That's great, but it's also you be plugged in at your house, and and serve your family, you know, or serve your your marriage. You know, those things too need need you know that as well. And so one of the things that we're going to see this week is as we get into this is. Jesus is going to be misread. Uh, they're not going to understand them. The, uh, each group is going to come in and, and they have what they believe Jesus needs or what's going on in Jesus' life. And, and, and all Jesus cares about is serving the people. That's it. That's what he's there to do. Not there to eat at that moment. He's not there to, to stop and see his family. He's there to serve the people that are there that have come. Uh, the ones that are, are sick, that need healing, the ones that are uh, possessed with demons, that need those demons cast out, and those that are needing to hear from Christ, the teaching. And so that's what they're there. But you also have that crowd that's there because of why? They want to see the show. Okay, and so that's what we're going to see when we, when we, when we get here uh, to the, these verses. Uh, and, and the first point we have, we, we're going to see that he's misread by his, by his friends in verses 20 and 21. In Mark chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Then he went home 
and the crowd gathered again. So we see the crowd is back again. And so they could not even eat. So not even Jesus, but the disciples. Right? So it's not just Jesus that can't eat. It's they could not eat. And so that's what ministry does. Sometimes we get busy with ministry, and, and next thing you know, you realize, man, I didn't eat. And it's 10 o'clock at night. I, I think we did that one when Ryan Reese came. He, he had been doing ministry all day, and then he didn't eat till I think we were at Waterburger at 10.30 at night. And that's when he finally ate, because he was just pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. And, and sometimes we forget that stuff. But the disciples want to eat, right? And so what we see in verse 21, it says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Now, the King James, the original King James says that when his friends heard it, when his friends heard it, they went out to lay hold of him, but they said he was beside himself. So the disciples, you know, they're, they're seeing that Jesus' popularity is growing. He can't really go anywhere without having a crowd be bombarded by a crowd. But one of the things that we need to remember about ministry, the bigger the ministry gets, you better not get bitter. It's going to be demanding. Everybody wants a big church, right? The bigger the church, the bigger the demands. The bigger the crowds. And it requires a lot of servants to be able to do that. And, you know, we just got done with VBS this week and uh, with Grace and uh, Grace Calvary Chapel. And it, it requires a lot of people. A lot of people. Uh, and Mr. Gary was serving. He was actually a group leader, which was, I mean, Gary's in his 70s. And I, I was like, man, I looked at him Friday. I was like, you're, you're wiped out. He was like, but he was, he, he was up there dancing with the kids. And, and what a great opportunity for the kids to have a grandfather figure. Because some of them may not have a grandfather in their life right now. You know, and, and it's just that, that we should not go, get bitter as we get older or get bitter as we get into a bigger ministry, but we should, we should actually enjoy that. We, we, under, we need to understand there's a demand that comes from the people that serve in a, in a church like that. And, and for us as well, I mean, it's, we're here to serve. And so this is what he's trying to, to teach the disciples right off the bat, the apostles right off the bat. It's going to be demanding. And everything that we've seen from chapter 1 to chapter 3, when Jesus is doing ministry, it's demanding. It's a lot. He has big crowds of people. He was going to get crushed. You know, so he had to get in a boat so that way he wouldn't get crushed because the crowd was pressing in so much. And so it's, it's a demand. And um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 33, uh, tells us that the crowds are only going to get bigger. It tells us that... Uh, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. So if, if something, think about just what we've learned so far. He, he's already healed somebody with, you know, that was leopard. That hadn't been done. There's only, only two other times at that point in the Bible that that was done. So the word goes out. But now we see in Matthew chapter 9 verse 33, he's going to do something that's never been seen in Israel. And so what do you think is going to happen? People are wanting to go, I need to go see Jesus. And so the crowds are going to just get bigger and bigger. And John the Baptist dealt with this too. Even out in the, in the middle of the, in the desert. They were coming out to see him. To hear him. 
And, and so for us, we need to remember that that is going to be a demand that happens in ministry when we step into ministry. John chapter 4, verses 31 and 33 says this, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Right? But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And then the disciples looked at one another and says, Has anyone brought him something to eat? He's there to serve the people. And so serving the Lord is not easy. It can be very demanding. And your time, your talent, your treasure is going to be stretched. But he's also going to strengthen you. And, and man, the, the things that you learn and, the, and how you're blessed by doing the work of the Lord. But there's going to be constant distractions. There will always be distractions whenever you step into ministry. That's, that's the enemy. But we can't develop a negative attitude when we, when we serve. You know, I think it was one pastor that said that, you know, joking around that ministry would be easy if it wasn't for the people. The easiest part of, of ministry is this, teaching. It's when you have to deal with all the other stuff, that's when ministry gets tough. That requires a lot of prayer. It requires a lot of counseling. It requires a lot of time and talent and treasure and you're getting stretched and you're still trying to serve in your family and you're still trying to serve and be in your marriage and all of those things are important but we have the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to do all of that. And, and when, we, when we disconnect from that, that's when the problem can be the people. But it's not the people that's the problem, it's you. You need to check your heart. That's, that's what happens. You start getting a hard heart. You need to step away for a little bit. And I tell people, ministry's not going anywhere. It's not going to miss you. We, we had BBS. You have to understand, we lost two leaders to COVID. They died. We lost our ministry, children's ministry leader. And yet, BBS went on. There were so many new faces that stepped in. Because guess what? We're all replaceable. I hate to say that. I, I, cannot, I can get in a car accident on the way to Waco this, this <clears throat> Sunday, and somebody will be here on Wednesday. Everything's already set up for that. I've already made sure of that. If something happens to me, there'll be somebody here to teach that next, that next day, whether it's Wednesday or Sunday. It's already been set up. And so... You know, we, we have to remember that the people are part of the, the that's the beauty of serving. And, and the grace and the love and the mercy, and, and that, that's, that's what we need to be focused on. And it says, and, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying he's out of his mind. So his family and his friends wanted to seize Jesus, thinking he was out of his mind. And this is where... C.S. Lewis comes up with that beautiful argument of Lord, liar, or lunatic. Uh, it comes from this verse. And, and so he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic is what C.S. Lewis comes up with. And it's Jesus the Bible, it's Jesus of the history. This is uh, C.S. Lewis here. And if this is one Jesus, we're not Lord. If he would be a liar or a lunatic, but he's truthful, not a liar. Insane, not a lunatic, therefore he is Lord. And, and so they would call, and, and this happens sometimes when you, when you come to know Christ, your family and your friends freak out. Like, what are you doing? 
Did you, my mom thought I joined a cult. Or did you, what do you mean that you're in the family? What family did you join? You know, what, you know, what are you doing? You know, and, and so D.L. Moody, they used to call him Crazy Moody because he had such a zeal for the Lord, for evangelism and, and, and preaching to the lost. Everybody was like, man, that dude's crazy. It, you know, at the end of the day, don't be surprised when your, your family or your friends don't get it. But one of the things that I ask you, don't become argumentative with them. Sit down and explain to them why you're following Jesus. Show them in Scripture. And if they don't want to do that, just say, you know what, I, I, I appreciate you worrying about me, but you don't need to worry. I'm more worried about you and your salvation, you know? But what we do, a tendency, what do we do? We argue. We want to argue it. We don't need to argue it. It's an opportunity for you to share Christ with them. It's an opportunity to, to share. Well, why do you go to church on Wednesdays now? What do you mean you're going to a church event on, on Saturday? What are you doing? Have you, I mean, what are you doing? This has taken over your life. That's what Jesus does. You know, and, and so we need to be ready to be able to explain it to him and not argue with him about it. First um, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural person, and this is why, so this is the scripture that explains it. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are, they are folly to him. And he is, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. They don't understand them. So that what do you, what, if somebody doesn't understand something, why not sit down and lovingly explain it to them? Right? And if they're not willing to listen to it, then say, hey, you know what? When, when you're ready, I'll, I'll sit down and explain it to you. But don't argue with them. If they say, well, I can't be your friend anymore because, well, you know, God, God removes people too now. Because he don't want you to go back to the old life. But here's the very important thing. On the other hand, you may have somebody who you love and that, that's walking with God that may say, hey, I'm worried about you. You're pushing it too hard. Don't be negative with them either. Listen to them. And tell them, hey man, I appreciate you caring for me. Can you pray for this or... Pray for that, or you know what? Maybe I am. Maybe I need to take a break. Maybe I need to take some time off. Listen to them. God puts people in place, especially those that are, are, are discipling you, those that love you, uh, that are godly, that are walking with the Lord. They may have some information that they see. Lord knows I had guys that, man, when I took off, I took off running. And, I, and, and it was getting to the point where it was affecting my marriage. It was affecting my family. And I had brother pull me aside and say, you need to slow down. They, they should not know just you in the ministry. They should know you and your wife. They should know you and your spouse. They should know you and your family. And, and you're going, 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 and you're neglecting the things that, that God has given you. And, and let me tell you something, that's not an easy conversation. Because you're like, come on, man, I'm doing God's work. But it's like, they're God's work too. <laughs> your marriage is God's work. So is your kids. That's what we forget. So 
zeal is great, but zeal should not be a point to where you start neglecting the things that God has provided you, like a marriage and family. So, you know, on the other end, you know, when you get those people with that wise counsel, listen to them. And it may hurt at the time they're telling you. Just say, you know what, I'll pray about it. And, and I appreciate you telling me. Don't get in their face and go, well, you don't know what you're talking about. No, no, no. You know, that, that's not going to do anybody any good. If anything, you're just showing that you're becoming bitter and you need a break. Second part is uh, misread by the religious. So we see that he was misread by the friends and relatives. Now we're going to see that he's misread by the religious. Catch that last part that he said. That they said that he is out of his mind, right? They went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. And now we have the religious leaders, the scribes that have come down from Jerusalem. Now, they, uh, anytime that you go to Jerusalem, you either go up to Jerusalem or you come down from Jerusalem. Doesn't matter. This is just a side note. Don't really. It is what it is. Why? Because to, to the Lord, the nation of Israel and Jerusalem is the center of the earth. And so you either, doesn't matter elevation. Doesn't matter that they actually went up to where Jesus is at. They, they came down from Jerusalem, right? And so they sent scribes. These are the best minds from Jerusalem to go put an end to what Jesus is doing. Remember they said they were going to, what, destroy him. They want to destroy him. And now they're, they're going to start challenging him openly. And they send some of the best people to do it. And so uh, the scribes are there and they, and they say this. It says, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebub, uh, which is Satan, and, and by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And so you can imagine that they hear the crowd or the people, the friends and the family saying he's out of his mind. So what do they do? Hey, we can say this. He's possessed by, by, the, by Satan. He's possessed by Satan. He's out of his mind, right? Even his friends, and, and, and it's, that's what's happening. And so th this is what they come up with. And, and, and it's sad because, you know, you, you wonder because, I mean, he, he's saying that the same, like he's possessed by Satan, and yet, do you honestly think Satan would have give up any of his glory? Any work that would be being done? What does Satan want to be? God. Satan wanted to be God. Do you think he wants to give up his glory to anybody? No. And, and so, one of the things that we see when we, when we look at this, and when we get into Mark chapter 5, I'll get more in depth into the origin of Satan and we'll, we'll go through some scriptures and stuff because when we get to Mark chapter 5, that's when we deal with the, the legions. Remember, that's the, the demon that's cast out and he says, he replied, my name is Legion for, the, for we are many. And so when we get to that chapter, I'll actually, we'll actually talk more about the origin of Satan. Uh, but what we see now is, is uh, something that, that, that um, you know, Satan... Is, is wanting to be worshipped. And so this would not have... And, and Jesus is going to answer this. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, in, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the, the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light 
of the gospel or the glory of Christ who is, a, who is the image of God. And so until we become a follower of Christ, we're following Satan. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. Like until you become a follower of Christ, you're following the, the ruler of this world, which is Satan. And, and so Satan is, is our adversary, but he wants to do what? He wants to separate us from God's salvation. He wants to separate us from God's word. He wants to separate us from God's forgiveness. And he wants us to have a life separate from the Lord. But these scribes had enough evidence at this point. They had enough evidence just at this point based upon the miracles that were done to point to the prophecy that this was the Messiah. But who's blinded? The religious leaders are blinded. And who's being used by the devil? The religious leaders are being used because they're blinded. They're so prideful that they want to keep their religious ways that they're willing to do and, and, and actually accuse, falsely accuse Jesus as Satan. This is the best they could come up with at this point. They'll come up with more. You know, this is not the first time that Jesus will get misread, that's for sure. But he, he, he answers this and, and Jesus responds to their question, you know, with a question, right? And, and he called them, uh, called to them and said to them in, in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Right? And he hits them with a common sense question. Satan would never cast himself out because he wants to be God. Right? Why would Satan oppose himself? Why would Satan do such a thing, right? He wants to be God. He wants to receive full credit. He's, you know... And so they falsely accuse Jesus, and, and, and Jesus is saying, look, uh, this is, it's wrong. Just look at, it, look at it through a common sense. He would never do this. And, and, and this, like I said, this won't be the first time Jesus is accused. This is going to continue to happen uh, until he goes to the cross. In John chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, it says, There was again a division among the Jews because these words, many of them, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Sounds familiar, right? They're going to keep pushing this. And then in John chapter 8, verses 48, it says, The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They accuse him of being a Samaritan and having a demon. The thing is, is what worries me about this is these were religious leaders that were falsely accusing Jesus, and it's fake news. And how many people in that crowd believed it? That's what I wrote about the devotion this week, was misinformation. What is, what is Satan? He is the what? The deceiver of the world. Now, how do you think the deceiver of the world is doing right now with misinformation? Very well. Very well. I, I don't care what side of the, 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 the platforms you fall on. There's misinformation on both sides. It's, it's, it, that's what, and that's where, where the devil deals. He's in the details of that to, to deceive people. Same thing these false religious, these religious leaders are doing are falsely accusing Jesus and how many people are going to walk away believing it. That's, that's the sad part. He goes on in verse 24, he says, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. 
And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Now, we know we can look at our nation, we can tell our nation is divided. Probably hasn't been this way since the 60s, my dad said. This divided. And, and, and a lot of this misinformation has caused it. But let me tell you something. When a husband and a wife are fighting, that house will not stand. When, when, when there's that division that happens in a house, eventually something's, something's going to fall. And, and, and so that even for us, as we read these scriptures, we know that a house can't stand divided. And neither can a church. So if we look at America and we go, America's divided. Can I tell you the American church is divided too? It is. It's become divided. We've fallen into a lot of the, the misinformation. We're being deceived by the deceiver of the world, Satan. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be uni uh, united in the same mind and the same judgment. We have a, a, a divisive church. And, and when we have a divisive church, a, a body of Christ, a, the body of churches in America, what happens is we block the work that God needs to do. Because let me tell you something, if the church would start becoming united and stop the division, America would start waking up. Believe it or not, it would. And we're just, we're, we're all over the place. And, and one of the things I love is like, it's, it's, it's like an orchestra. You know, God being the conductor. And we're all in the orchestra. And, but we all play different instruments. God uses all of us differently. You know, you'll have the, the wind section, you'll have the horn section, or the wind section, you'll have the string section, you'll have the percussion section. And within each of those sections, you have the clarinet and the horns and the cellos and all the other stuff. And, and God uses that to bring what? Harmony in the same song as the conductor through the body of Christ. The church is supposed to be united. We all follow the same Jesus, our Lord and Savior. But what's happened is our nation has become so divided, we've even in the church is it's, it's sad because one of the things that I see that's happening a lot a lot whether it's online whether it's uh, on on TV uh, whether it's on somebody's pulpit is there's a lot of eisegesis going on okay what is eisegesis it's a fancy word uh, that just means that you're mishandling the text or misinterpreting the text for instance, Kamala Harris. I don't care what you think about her, okay? I just want you to get this. Love your neighbor, get the vaccine. That's not what that verse means. That's, that's using a verse from the Bible and weaponizing it, and it's being misinterpreted. It's wrong, okay? That's, that's eisegesis. 
Okay? And what happens is, is we have... Uh, and the enemy loves that because the enemy is saying, look, you're taking God's word out of context and you're using it as a weapon. Go for it. And there are, there are pastors that are doing this, whether they're promoting from their pulpits vaccines or no vaccines, whether they're promoting mask or no mask or left or right or what president you like or don't like. That's not my job to tell you those things. It's up to you. Whatever you want to do with the vaccine, that's your choice. Let me tell you how this works. You have the husband of the house. He needs to do his homework. And let me tell you, there's misinformation on both sides. And somewhere in there is the truth. And you need to find the truth. And then you make the decision what's best for your family. That's how it works. And if you're a single mom, just like Timothy's mom had his mother and grandmother, she made the choice. But we make our choices based on, based on God's word. We make our choices based through prayer, through God showing us what we're supposed to do. But see, what happens is, is these arguments have come into the church. I saw pastors that actually promoted BLM from the pulpit and never went and read the website. The website said they don't believe in the nuclear family, which goes against God's word. The website says that you're supposed to promote and, and help and endorse trans, black trans, and the LGBTQ community. All of those things go against God's word. So how can you promote that? I can't have anything to do with that. It's not my job to do that from the pulpit. Okay? It's, at the end of the day, one of the things we have to be very careful with is that we don't get involved in putting out misinformation as pastors. I see there are pastors that are actually promoting the vaccine from their pulpit, promoting it on their websites, churches. Churches should not be involved in that in any way, shape, or form. We shouldn't be. It's not our place. What my job is to do is make sure you understand the Word of God and that you live for Christ. That's it. Those things you have to do your homework on and go read and make the decision based upon what you believe. You know, and, and, and unfortunately what we've seen is in the church, people won't talk to I have a friend of mine that's a CNN guy. And, and I... I mean, at the end of the day, I love them, but we never talk about that. Why? Because that would cause some friction. So what we do is we just love each other as brothers, you know? And if, and if he ever asks me a question about something, I'll, I'll gladly answer. But at the end of the day, I don't want to lose my brother over that. You see what I'm saying? I've known that guy for like 11 years. And I know one day he'll wake up. You know? I hope. But at the end of the day, it's like it's not worth losing the church. We, well, what happens is if you do mask or no mask, you'll have half the church be no mask, half the church be masked. You do pro-abortion. Hopefully the whole church is pro-life you know, pro, pro, you know, pro, uh, pro and, and we don't want anything to do with abortion. But we're seeing that now being a, an issue. That's separating, which I can't fathom because the Word of God tells you. 
right, that you're not supposed to kill, that God formed them in the womb. And yet, how many politicians have you heard that are supposed to be Christian promote it? And some of them will actually use scripture, which is eisegesis. They're misinterpreting the text and using it for their point. So we have to be very careful with this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's the part we need to work on. It's hard. I, I understand when you have different viewpoints, it's hard. When you're more read on a subject and you understand it more, and that person's only getting talking points from the news, and, and you've actually done your research on it, you know, and, and they don't want to listen, it's hard to, to bear with one another in love, but we have to. We've been called to, right? Eager to maintain the unity of, of the Spirit in the bond of what? Peace. Peace. And this is the part I love. There is what? One body. One spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, a Father of all, who is over all, through all and in all. So who do you think with this misinformation, the deceiver of the world, created division in the world? Do you think he's done his job? He has. And he's used those tech companies, and he's used the news, and I would tell you, turn that stuff off for a week. Some of you go into jail, Facebook jail or whatever they do now. You do that, that's fine. You don't have to deal with it for a little bit, you know. But turn off the news for a while. Turn off the, just for a day or two. And, and just give it a break. Because we have this, you know, it, it, you think about your phone, right? You have misinformation in your hand at any moment. Google loves to give it to you. I mean, there's 50 opinions on one subject. You can, you can just put in, type in, who is Jesus? And look what comes up. There's misinformation about that. And so we have at our hands, and I was telling, I forgot if it was Coral or Chloe I was talking to last week. I was telling them, uh, I was like, we didn't have Google. We had our grandfather or our grandmother. You wanted to find something out, you asked them. And honestly, we need to get back to that. Because I think we have too much information at our hands at any given time. And I, I forget what Matt was telling us. He was telling us that, that a child would normally, and this may be, I may get the statistic wrong, but it was, but he was saying that in, in one day they get more information that they would have gotten in a year. That's how much information they're dealing with. So we need to be careful with it, right? Uh, so in verse 27 it says, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his good unless he is first finds a strong man. Then indeed he may plunder the house. So basically what Jesus is saying is, Look, I already, I already bound Satan up already. He's, I'm doing what God has called me to do. I'm doing the will of the Father. He sent me here to do God's work. I, I already have victory over this guy. We know that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. You can read that when you get time. But, but Jesus is saying, hey, look, I've already bound this guy up. That's why I'm doing the work of the Lord right now. I'm doing God's work now. 
And so remember, one of the things that we, and this is again, the evidence was there for the religious leaders, but they misread it. Because every time an unclean spirit came to Jesus, what would happen? You are the Son of God, and they would fall to their knees. And then he would cast them out. They would always fall. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Whoever makes practice of sinning is of the devil. Uh, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus is here to destroy the works of the devil. That's what he's here for. Truly I say to you, in verse 28, all sins will be forgiven. So truly, whenever you see truly, truly, it's amen, amen, or amen. I say to you, all sins will be forgiven. If you read just that line right there, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man. So every sin can be forgiven except one right and 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 then he gives it to us here and he says and whatever blasphemies they utter but whoever blasphemies against the holy spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of eternal sin for they were saying he is he has an unclean spirit so beautiful news at the beginning all sins will be forgiven but many people believe that they have committed this sin even as believers. I don't know if I'm completely forgiven because maybe I blasphemed me the Holy Spirit. No, you didn't. Okay? And, and, and Warren Worsby puts it this way, and I love the way that he puts it, so I'm going to read what Warren Worsby said on this because it, it, it really explains it very, very basic. It says, Many people think, including myself as, as a believer, wondering, did I do this? Did I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Well, I agree that as a particular sin can no longer be committed. And, and, and the sin Jesus spoke of here was, to, was reserved for those who experienced his power, word, and miracles. And it was reserved for those who stood in the presence of Christ and yet denied he who, uh, who, was, uh, who claimed to be. So they denied he who was he claimed to be. And I understand the reason it makes sense. However, these commentaries also agree that, the very, that this sin is very similar and just as dangerous today. So when you reject Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows you that you are a sinner, right? And you need a Savior, that you're guilty of sin and you reject Jesus. Yeah, it's, a, it's an unpardonable sin because if you die, you're going to hell. But if you've given your life to Christ... You've chosen to follow Christ, and you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Right? These were for those, remember when we read in the verses where they were hard hearts? They knew he was the Messiah, and yet they hardened their hearts and rejected it. So they blasphemed the Holy Spirit, the religious leaders. That's what he's talking about. In John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life whoever does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of god remains on him and so what we if you want to know more about uh, what the holy spirit does you can read in john chapter 16 through verses 7 through 15 we don't have time to go through all of that and uh, it talks about the holy spirit it talks about when the spirit moves you into the truth of god's word and and reveals to you that you are a sinner and you have to make a choice but People reject it still. And guess what? People will continue to reject it. There's nothing we can do about that. We just got to pray. Now, let's say, that, let's say that person rejects it at age 30. 
and they're on their deathbed at 69 or 72 or 80 will they go to heaven yeah God will still forgive them because they're choosing to follow Jesus they're choosing and you go but he lived his whole life in sin it, that's not our place Jesus is the one who decides not us and there have been deathbed confessions it happens it happens it happens more than you think you know people get on there and they're like I'm, I need to make sure I know Christ I need to because <laughs> they realize they're going home they're, they're, they're either going to go to hell or heaven you have that decision to make so you know that's something for us to think about but don't reject the, the uh, you know the, uh, Jesus and reject the Holy Spirit there's only one way that you get to heaven and that's John 14 6 it says I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me and then finally we're going to see that he is misread by his family our last point uh, Jesus family shows up now now this is mothers and brothers that show up okay so relatives before now moms come and mom had to make a I think it's about a 30 mile trip to come get her son so you can imagine she's heard your son is saying he's God your son is being chased and and they're threatening to kill your son to destroy him the the scribes and the Pharisees uh, they're saying he's filled with Satan. So mom's going to, what mom, what is mom going to do? Mom's going to come. Right? And she does. And, and we see it here in verse 31. It says, And his mother and his brothers came standing outside. They came, uh, they sent to him and called him. And so remember that his, his brothers, do, they don't come to know Christ until after the resurrection. They don't believe it. Mary, and this is something, if you're Catholic, Mary is not a perpetual virgin, okay? It's in Scripture. Uh, she's had more kids besides Jesus. It's in Scripture in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. It says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Hoseas, and, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So he had brothers and sisters, Jesus did. Okay? Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Just that knocks out, that the scripture knocks that out. And so we know that. And so they come to grab him, and, and it's weird because Mary would have known because if she goes back and remembers, in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 and 33, it says, And behold, you will receive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over his house of Jacob uh, forever and of his kingdom there will be no end so he has his family standing outside they can't even get in because the crowd's so big so you have people in the house with Jesus and then a crowd outside the house and then mom and the brothers are out there and and by the time we get to verse 32 the word has come into the house that hey your mother and brothers are out there it says, And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Now, most of us would have stopped what we're doing or either say, Hey, can y'all make room for my mom and my brothers to come in? Right? But Jesus was doing ministry. He was busy doing his father's work. And so he's not going to stop just because, you know, that happens. And, and so... Um, 
And, and this would have been tough because the Jewish culture would have expected that. Uh, Jewish culture with family, like you need to get up and go. That's your mom. But, but Jesus is busy doing ministry and he's like, he answers back and he answered them saying, who are my mother and my brothers? And you can imagine, they're like probably thinking to him, dude, they're right there, right? They're right outside. They're right outside. And, but Jesus is saying, I know Teresa's thinking the curtains are going to come down. I'm so sorry. Uh, and Jesus is saying, and in verse 34, he says, And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, and I want to make sure you get this. So he's looking about at each person in there. And he says this, Here are my mother and my brothers. He's looking at his family. Those that follow the will of God. You're my family. You can imagine them sitting there and going, Wow, because that's not what the religious leaders are teaching, right? It's an amazing, amazing verse, but he's saying, look, you, you become part of the spiritual family. I remember when I first started going to Grace and people would say, welcome to the family of God. Not to me, because I hadn't given my life yet, but when people would give their life to Christ, they would say, welcome to the family of God. I was like, what does that mean? Well, that's because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So if we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, do you think we should be divided? We're family. We're family. My family don't agree on everything. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I got some family. I'm just like, you know. And I come from a dysfunctional family. So most of us come from a dysfunctional family. So when we hear spiritual family, we think worldly family, right? But it's different. We're supposed to be bearing with one another in love. We're supposed to be patient and unity with peace of the Spirit of God. And those things are supposed to be happening. But guess what? You have flesh. And I have flesh. And sometimes we say something. Or sometimes we, we, we do something. And, and it may hurt somebody's feelings. But we need to, as family, we need to come together. Spiritual family. We can't be so divided that we're not doing God's work. Because when we become so divided, we're, not, we're, we're neglecting what God has called us to do as a body of Christ. Right? And he says in verse 35, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus is not suggesting that you abandon your marriage or your family to serve God. Right? But he's saying you put the will of God above everything else. So God comes first. Okay? God come first. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26 and 27, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and child and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's saying you have to put your flesh to death daily. You have to die daily. And, and so, but can I tell you this, that when you put God first, you know what it does to your marriage? It strengthens it. It strengthens it. You know what it does to your family? It strengthens it. It doesn't create divides. Not with your, your kids. It actually strengthens it. When you live for the Lord and you put God first, and this is the problem when we do marriage counseling. Neither one of them want to do what God has called them to do. 
Neither one of them want to die to themselves. But all it takes is one person in the marriage to say, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to put God first. And I'm going to live for the Lord. Now, they may still have a knucklehead that takes a while. But it, it requires you. That's why we always ask, where are you at in the Word of God? Are you in the Word of God? Because if you want to know the will of God, you've got to be in the Word of God. That's how this works. That's why we always tell you, you need to be in the, in the Word. That's how you find out what the will of God is. You, 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 you read the Word of God and, you, and the Holy Spirit gives you direction. But we need, to, we need to not be so divided. We need not be so divided. So a couple things that I would tell you as a, as a spiritual family, if you go back to Ephesians, I'm going to work my way back to it, I'm sorry. If you go back to Ephesians, and verse 4, verses 1 through 6. A couple things. If we're going to walk in a manner worthy as a, as a spiritual family, uh, one of the things we need to work on is our humility and our gentleness. Okay? You can say what you need to say, but you need to do it with humility and gentleness. Do you realize that a lot of times when you're wanting to get your point across, if you're humble and you're gentle in your delivery, that helps so much. But if you're... I always laugh when I see people pulling fingers out, and I'm like, that's, they're not listening, right? It's, you know, at that point, you know, it's like, be humble, be gentle. Another thing a spiritual family should be is patient. You may have already made your decisions on things. Masks, no masks, vaccines, no vaccines, pro-choice, right? All that stuff. You already know where you're going with that. But if somebody's a new believer they may still be deceived by some of the things in the world because they're just now coming to Christ. And so be gentle, be humble. You can share stuff with them, show them stuff. Hey, say you may want to read this. This may help you, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to share with them. I'm saying you need to be, but you do it in humble, humbleness and gentleness, right? The spiritual family should also be united through the spirit and the bond of peace. Peace is something we need. People want to argue about everything. You can put an orange on. You can put an orange on online. Post a picture of an orange, and you'll have people arguing that it's an apple or some other kind of orange, or you know, they'll be it's a navel orange or it's a whatever. You'll have a whole argument. No, it's a grapefruit, and and people just want to argue. But you need to be one that 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 wants to maintain the bond of peace. A spiritual family should want to maintain the bond of peace. We get hurt. We, 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 we need to look at ways to, to, to seek forgiveness, to, to talk those things out. It's not, hard. it's not easy. It's not easy. When somebody hurts your feelings, because I've had it happen to me, and they, and they still keep hurting your feelings, and you're just like, Lord, are they ever going to get this? You show grace, you show grace, and and at the end of the day, you know, sometimes you have to bring somebody else into the room with you to say, hey, this is wrong, and it needs to be corrected. And, and, and normally they'll get it then. But we, we do it to, to try to keep the peace, to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. Why? Because we're all one orchestra. Because if, if the, the cellos are fighting with the, the horns, the trumpets, how you think the sound's going to sound? Or if the, the tuba player goes, I need a solo here, and it's supposed to be violins at that point, 
it's just going to sound bad, right? We're all supposed to be in harmony working together. So a spiritual family should be working together. What is our application? So we see Jesus being misread, right? So our first application. Have you had a family member or friends concerned about, the, uh, about your zeal for the Lord? Have you allowed it to stop you from sharing or serving the gospel? Or, or you know, serving or sharing the gospel? Uh, people will... You know, sometimes when we have that zeal, people will knock it out of us. They're like, what are you doing? You don't need to be doing all that. It's, you know, you're, you're taking it too far. You do what God's calling you to do. Okay, if God's put that on your heart to do, and that's the will of God. But if, it's, if you're neglecting your wife or your husband, you're neglecting your kids, then you need to slow down. But... If you have family members and friends that are concerned about you, take the opportunity to explain to them why you have this zeal and this desire to serve God. Explain it to them. And open the Word of God to do it. Because guess what God's Word's going to do? It's not going to return void. Even though they may not receive it at that moment, at least you, you've tried to share the Word of God with them and you try to share why you're, you're loving God and you're wanting to follow God, right? Why you're willing to die to yourself every day and chase after the Lord and put God above everything, including them, because that's half the problem. When you say God comes first, most people are narcissistic and like, why don't you love me? And it's like, no, I'd love you, but God has to come first, <laughs> you know? And so that we need to remember that. Second, second application. How is your church family? Is it divided? Have you allowed personal ideologies to take over the theology of Christ? What I mean by that is when you allow your ideology to be here and your theology to be here, you got a problem. Okay? When you can spit out more information, right, about a president or about whatever, and, and you talk, this has become your ideology. And your theology is down here now. And you've divided people because of it. It's caused divide. It actually has, has created a divide in the church. That's, that's a problem. Okay? That becomes a problem. Uh, remember what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no division among you. Because what was happening with the people in Corinth? They were fighting with each other. The church was divided. And Paul was telling them, hey, look, no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Okay? What do we agree on? Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Right? We can agree on that. Look, if you want to be something else, you go be that. I love you. But I'm just not going to talk to you about those things because I don't want to create a vision with you. I don't want to create a problem with you. If you ask me a question about it, I'll, I'll gladly answer it. But at the end of the day, I cannot allow my ideology to start to become a, an eisegesis where I start using scripture. Because, man, you look at posts online, oh, my Lord. There's so much eisegesis that's going on. If you read the comments, I've seen stuff posted by people. And I'm like, that's not what they were trying to post, but where did you get that from? And they'll pull some scripture out and try to slide it in there and say, 
Well, God says to love everyone. I was like, yeah, but God also is a just God who's going to judge. And this is what God's Word says. But you're, you're wanting to take the peace that you like for your argument. And so we see a lot of that going on. We can't, we can't get involved in that. If you're going to use the Scripture, use it in context. Okay? Use it in context. And don't allow your ideologies to take over your theology of Christ. Because that does happen. Um, lastly, have you submitted to the will of God? And are you struggling to understand what is the will of God? Because a lot of people struggle with that. Do you know we're going to talk about this as we go into Calvary Chapel Distinctives? On Wednesday nights, uh, we finished the book of Nehemiah this week. And then the following week, we will start the book of, uh, we're actually doing Calvary Chapel Distinctives. We're going to go through each, each chapter and explain what we are as Calvary Chapel, what we believe, and will of, the will of God and the Holy Spirit will be some of these topics that we'll talk about. And I hope you join us. We'll, we'll finish it, I think, the Wednesday. So the Labor Day weekend, we'll be starting a new book of the Bible after Labor Day weekend. And I'm, thinking, I'm still praying and looking about doing the Minor Prophets. And so we'll, we may go through those. And I'm, I'll make a decision on that probably over the next two weeks. But if you, if you struggle with understanding the will of God, Remember, your relationship is powered by the Holy Spirit. And when we come to Christ in repentance and faith, it, the power of the Holy Spirit enables you to live a life of obedience through what? Through God's Word. Right? Through God's Word. So if you're not in God's Word, you're not going to know the will of God. You're going to be doing your will all day long. Okay? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You know the verse... Some of you probably can quote it to me, but there's a very important part of it that you need to get. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God. Right? What is good and acceptable and perfect. How do you know and discern and test what the will of God is? By the Word of God. And the only way you do that is by renewing your mind and being in the Word. And if you don't want to do that, you're going to do your will all day long and it's going to be a train wreck. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. In order for us to, to understand Jesus, and this is one of the things I pray, is that you don't misread Jesus. Jesus wants you to be able to walk in obedience with him. He wants that relationship with you, but he wants you to be powered by the Holy Spirit, living in obedience, and guided by who? God's Word. Because what will you be still learning in heaven? God's Word. It goes on forever. It's not stopping. You're not going to get away from it. I don't know if people where they struggle, where they think, well, I'm going to just go to heaven. I'm going to be laying down in the pool. And, and No, you're, you're going to be worshiping God. Hello. Right? Wonderful scripture today. Next week we'll be in chapter 4. Uh, we'll go ahead and close out in prayer. And, uh, and, and thank you all so much for working with me. I know we had a lot of verses to cover today. And, all. And, and so we pray. Father God, we come before you. We pray, Lord, that we won't misread 
uh, allow us the discernment. That's why we need to renew our mind. There is so much misinformation out there, Lord. Protect our hearts, guard our minds. Allow us to stay focused on doing your will in the work that you've called us to do. Uh, I pray, Lord, I pray for each of us here. You know, I, I thank you, Father God, for the people that you have here in Divine. And, and, and just to see the church here is, is of one body and one mind and, and, and of one, uh, you know, we th talk about division, but there's no division here. And I thank you for that. And I pray uh, that uh, at the end of the day, Lord, that you just continue to grow us and, and help us grow. And uh, at the same time, show us things that we need. Uh, show us how to speak with humility and meekness. Show us how to convey uh, an argument or, or a discussion to where we can share you, Lord. You know, and, and Lord, we do pray for our family and friends. We all have family and friends that don't know you that don't understand why we go to church, that don't understand why we spend time at a church event or, uh, or, or, or to go to a Bible study or a retreat or any of that. They're, they just don't understand it. And I pray that you give us opportunities to talk about it and give us those opportunities with humility and meekness. And I do pray. I thank you so much for uh, those that are here that serve. I thank you for those that are that are on vacation, keep them protected and get them home safely and allow them to have just a wonderful vacation and get them back safely as well. And, uh, and I do pray, Lord, uh, just for Marcus and his business here and his family, we lift them up uh, and we pray for the night of worship and prayer. We pray for everybody that's coming, Pastor Wade and, and Jarrell and, and Darren and, and the Rise worship team. We pray that you would already be working in their hearts and giving them the direction of what you wanna do through the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you just continue to show us what we're supposed to do here as a church. We want to know your will, and we want to do your will. Uh, and we thank you, Father God. I thank you so much for everyone here. We do pray for the marriages. We pray for the, uh, the families. And I pray for those that are watching online. We just ask, Lord, that you bless their homes. And, uh, and, and at the end of the day, Lord, we pray for this city. We thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so calvarydivine.org. So Wednesday night, 7 p.m., we'll be here Wednesday, and we'll be finishing the book. We're finishing our first book, which is amazing. We're finishing the book of Nehemiah on Wednesday night, so um, hopefully you come join us and, and be a part of that. So God bless you. We'll see you later. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.